0: Morning. We're talking about the power of gentle persuasion. Interesting verse from Proverbs. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Gentle persuasion is a lost art. Um, in some contexts, like politics, all that's needed is to change somebody's vote. With faith, it's a different thing. Um, Different story, we need to change somebody's heart, not just their vote. We're going to talk about the power of gentle persuasion, about persuasion that changes the heart. Paul's last known communication is a letter to Timothy. In his last visit to um, the elders at Ephesus where Timothy was located, Paul predicted that the church would face grave threats from wolves who would come and not spare the flock, He was right. Members of the church leadership ended up rising up, members of the church, and pulling against Paul and pulling um, sheep along with them. And Paul encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy to meet this threat head on. He says, ends up writing to him and saying, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. He tells them, flee the evil desires of youth. And in the context, the evil desires of youth are not sensual desires. He's not talking about immorality here. He's talking about the headstrong passions of youth. Paul associated youth with novelties, foolish discussions, and arguments that often lead to quarrels. In Paul's opinion then, fighting is childish. And that's something that he is wanting and telling Timothy to flee the evil desires of youth. He's going to tell him not to promote fights and quarrels. Gentle instruction is characteristic of the adults at the table. Let's talk about gentle instruction. It says, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. What we find here, it stipulates what God's responsibility is, And what our responsibility is relative to trying to get somebody to change not just their thoughts but their heart Uh, divine responsibility we read that god grants repentance repentance is a change in belief leading to a change in behavior and what it says god grants repentance a change in belief leading to a change in behavior this repentance leads to a knowledge of the truth and allows somebody to escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to, to, to do his will. So in order to escape from the trap and come to the knowledge of the truth, the thing that's necessary is something that God does. God grants repentance. Um, and that change in thinking is necessary because what Paul is going to say is that if there's a behavior problem, There's a belief problem that comes before the behavior problem. Look what Paul says. He writes a kind of a summary of the problem with Gentiles at that time. And for a Jew, the world is separated into Jews and everyone else who are Gentiles. And Paul writes about the spiritual issues with Gentiles, and they didn't know biblical truth but here's what he has to say he says I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and then he goes on to describe it in the futility of their thinking they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And when you look at it, what's the problem with the Gentiles? It describes it as this, the futility of their thinking. Futility is something when something cannot discharge the purpose for which it was created. It's kind of empty and purposeless. So when the thinking is futile, that the thing that God discharges thoughts to be able to produce, the thoughts can't produce them. And that's what Paul says, is the problem with Gentiles, it's the futility of their thinking. And this leads to being darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of this ignorance. So there's an inability to think of God accurately. This promotes a darkening in the understanding, a separation from the life of God. And what it goes on to say, having become calloused, they have given themselves over to sensuality. When it says lost sensitivity, it's talking about something like when you walk around in the summertime, If you walk around without shoes, you build calluses on your feet. And so it's not sensitive. You can walk on anything. and, And when it is applied spiritually, here's what Paul is saying. Gentiles who can't think of God correctly, they're darkened in their understanding and separated. What they end up doing is they end up giving themselves over to sensuality so as to involved themselves in all kinds of immorality with the continual lust for more. What it's saying is this, immortal ignorance, not knowing God, immortal ignorance leads to immoral insanity. That's what he's saying. The behavior problem is rooted in the belief problem. This, creates this and so in order for lives to change then what god needs to do is grant repentance a change in thinking about god that leads to a change in behavior when this changes then this changes that's what paul is suggesting here and so when you think of a biblical model or a biblical example of this think of the prodigal son And he demanded his inheritance and he was frustrated with his father when he thought of his father he always thought about what the father was withholding from him and he couldn't wait to get to the place where he was on his own he could get the inheritance and he could get as far away from his father as he could and that came and then what ended up happening you know the story he ended up just involved in all kinds of things, immorality, and and he's feeding pigs, and then it occurs to him, he has a moment of clarity. He comes to repentance. He thinks about his father, and he thinks about, wait a minute, my father feeds his servants, and these Gentile farmers don't feed theirs, and he says, and he saw his father then. It was clear, because he saw him, he returned and He changed the direction of his life. That's what the image that Paul is creating here, that when our thinking about God changes, it leads progressively to a change in acting. A change in thinking is something that God has to engineer. So here's the question. How does that happen? Does God do it all the time? If God's going to create a change in thinking, How does that work? And that's what Paul goes on to describe. There is a human component. When the truth of the gospel is gently instructed, when the truth of the gospel is gently instructed, that is the means by which God creates repentance in the mind. That's what what Paul will say. Look what it says on the Lord's servant. Must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. And when God's servants do this, then in the hope that God grants them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Gentle instruction is necessary. This instruction is about instructing people in what God is like. It's not so much admonishing, it's not so much encouraged, it's helping them to think accurately about God. This seems like a weak response to a grave threat. Again, the problem is people were doing all kinds of bad things. And what Paul understands is that if we're really serious about changing people's behavior, and that be our behavior, could be their behavior, the behavior of the world as we see things careening out of control, in order for that to happen, People's thinking needs to be changed with respect to God, and the ones who explain that must do it gently because that's the context in which God grants repentance. Paul talks to Timothy about what shepherds or those seeking to make a difference in the lives of others spiritually, what in the world do they or we, if we want to be that, how do we approach? thinking and helping people deal with spiritual issues in a way that will cause God to grant repentance. That's what Paul gets to. And we'll notice four things, and we'll go through them. There's two don'ts and two do's. Two don'ts, two do's. Don't quarrel. Don't be resentful. Do be kind, and do be able to teach. That's what he says. It says, don't quarrel, Paul says, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel; he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. avoid, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. The problem with quarrels, it's in the the middle verse, it says avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Godless chatter is when you major on minors. It's when you make a big thing about things that aren't the big thing. When you take major things, when you take minor things in the Bible and magnify them out of all proportion in order to create arguments, that's what he's talking about. And what what Paul says to Timothy, don't do this. If you argue about things that aren't important, it's not going to lead anybody to a more godly perspective. That's not what God uses in order to grant somebody repentance. You can't argue someone into being granted repentance by God. You can't do it. It's got to be gentle instruction, and that might limit those who are able to be persuaded. But what Paul is saying to Timothy, don't waste your time with arguments that really aren't gonna do any good. Focus on those who are teachable. Try to gently instruct them, that's what he's saying. Um, Timothy has been drawn into theological arguments. um, And what Paul's saying, those who handle the word accurately, don't use it as a club. The Bible's not a club. It's a means whereby we might think about God accurately. Um, Quarreling, Ends up winning battles, but ends up losing the war. Uh, the, the truth of the gospel in harsh tones is probably pretty close to, in terms of an analogy. It's putting new wine in old skins, and it wrecks both. It, it doesn't serve the message. Um, don't quarrel. That's what he says first. So if you want to gently instruct in order... To be someone through whom God might grant repentance, don't quarrel, and he goes on to say, don't be resentful. Let's talk about don't be resentful. Resentment is, um, well, resentment actually literally it's resentment. Re is again, and sentiment is to think about something. What resentment is is when somebody does something to you, and you think about it and you get the feelings again. That's what resentment is, it's refeeling something. And so you think about what that person did and you focus on it and you re-feel it again, the anger. What Paul says to Timothy, don't do that, don't do that. How do you get away from that? How do you get away from that? Um, this was something Paul learned over time. Um, he says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me? including Phygelus and Hemogenes. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. I may not be held against them. Paul's churches were vulnerable, and people were able to come and steal people away. Now, he tried to instruct those who would be his spokespersons to do so gently, but what he had to learn is that his resentment didn't really help matters Early on in his ministry, Paul probably was a firebrand. But over the course of his life, he had to endure a lot of difficulties. And when we end up enduring a lot of difficulties, we end up learning either to not be resentful or we get swallowed up by it. How do you get around resentment? We kind of talked about it when we talked about coveting. Think about Joseph and how Joseph was really very awfully mistreated by his by his brothers. They threw him in a pit and left him for dead. He ended up being sold into slavery. He was thrown into prison and on a trumped up charge and yada, yada, yadi. And then there's a famine and his brothers come to him and he sees them and now they know that there's a day of reckoning. And here's what Joseph said. You meant it for evil, he says to his brothers. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Listen to what he says. He doesn't forgive and forget. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So he spoke kindly to them and he treated them gently. Why did he treat them gently? You know what he understood? With respect to God and being God's servant, God's good trumped his brother's bad. And in that sense, then, Joseph didn't need to rethink about what his brothers did in order to think about that, because that ends up going along with feeling victimized. But what Joseph understood, although that did happen, he knew that God's good trumped his brother's bad. And here's what the Bible says. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. To those who are called according to your purpose with respect to being someone who is being developed into a spokesperson for god what he says there's no bad thing that can happen to us with respect to becoming god's representatives all things god works together for good and in joseph's life it was imprisonment and all kinds of different things paul had to learn this Ends up saying, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. What he ends up saying, Paul couldn't always look around and draw courage from what was happening because he went through a lot of difficult things, and as we just saw, he says a lot of people deserted him, and toward the end of his life, he was pretty much alone with just a few people there, but what Paul learned to do, he learned not to gauge his success by what was going on around him. You can't always see God at work visibly, but if you gently instruct, and this is what Paul understood, that there would be God's purpose would be created in what we understand now, even though towards the end of his life, Paul's ministry didn't look that good. Everyone in Asia where Timothy was deserted him. People walked away from him. No one was there to defend him when he went and and was tried in Rome. He was all alone. And yet what we understand, look what we're doing 2,000 years later. We are reading these letters and studying them. And so the, 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 the impact Paul had, he could have no idea. And God causes all things to work together for good. Um, don't quarrel. Don't be resentful. Uh, do be kind. Do be kind. Here's what it says. Um, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is an earthly, unspiritual of the devil. We talked about escaping the trap of the devil. What is that about? I think James clarifies what Paul means when he talks about escaping from the trap of the devil. The wisdom from below is involved. It describes it this way, such wisdom. There's bitter envy and selfish ambition. Bitter envy is a very harsh, it's harsh rhetoric. It's what we find in social media a lot of times, especially if people are arguing. Harsh, very one-sided rhetoric. That's what bitter envy is. And bitter envy and selfish ambition it's an interesting word. It describes what happens when someone is saying something to people in order to draw away adherents after themselves. So I say, oh, you know what, Shane, Augustine, a bad school, you know, I think you should go to University of Sioux Falls. And so I'm trying to draw people away. That's what selfish ambition is. So here's what he's saying. Where bitter envy and selfish ambition is, there is disorder, and every evil thing that is reflective of the wisdom from below so what does that mean somebody who is always involved in tearing someone else down in order to draw away people after themselves in a spiritual context that's what that's what james is discouraging and that's what james associates with the trap of the devil it's when we use the kind of warfare tactics the world uses in order to try to accomplish spiritual objectives. That's the problem with the trap of the devil. We, we use the wrong means to get to the right ends. And that's what Paul tells Timothy. Don't quarrel. Be kind be able to teach. Don't try to beat somebody into submission. That is something that it it might look like it's going to accomplish the purpose, but it won't. Um, So what are we to do? It says in James three, in terms of the wisdom from below leads people to divide and elevate themselves. and the wisdom from above. It's interesting, isn't it? We've talked about this, the wisdom from below, How can you tell if somebody is motivated by wisdom from below or wisdom from above? If something's coming from below, what's it gonna do? It's going to lift me above people. And so you can always know where somebody is being, what wisdom is operative if they elevate themselves over. That's wisdom from below. Wisdom from above would not do that, right? It pushes somebody so that they descend And that's what Jesus did. He made himself a servant. Um, It says, "Will you have envy and selfish ambition. There you find disorder and every evil practice. Those are those two words, bitter envy and a harsh campaigning, drawing away people after themselves. Listen to what it says. That first sentence, will you have envy and selfish ambition? What it says, you find disorder and every evil practice, every evil thing. I think it's interesting when the Bible uses every, and this is what it's describing. Evil, you'll find it, it's rooted in contentious, harsh, bitter, striving. That's what he seems to suggest, Um, says, If you find disorder of evil practice, the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Peace-loving. Pure means agreeable. It builds bridges, not walls. The wisdom from above builds bridges between people. It kind of to find common ground. Um, Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, uh, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace... Raise a harvest of righteousness, um do be kind, and finally it's, it's do teach, don't quarrel, don't be resentful, do be kind, and do teach. He advises gentle instruction um teaching, not admonishing necessarily now you can get that, but discouraging, but he talks about teaching, he cautions that there will be. An increasing inability of people to tolerate teaching, here's the last verse we'll look at. Here's what he says later on in the last chapter of this letter. I give you this charge, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, gentle instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Paul describes that in the future, as he's writing to Timothy in the first first century, he said, Timothy, there's gonna be difficult times that are gonna come, and you teach gently while you have the opportunity, because the time will come where people won't put up with gentle instruction. They will be so used to being yelled at, but if they're not yelled at, it will not, it won't land anymore. They will jump around from place to place to place, trying to get something that that, that tickles their ear. And when that happens, what Paul is describing, that it's like there will be a time where There will be, like, let's say COVID, there will be vaccines, but there won't be needles. There will be an opportunity for people, there will be the truth, but no way to get the truth inside. That's what Paul talks about when he's talking about Timothy, and I think this makes Paul shiver. It makes him shiver. The fact that people will not be able to sit and listen to gentle instruction. They'll need to be harangued or they'll need to be, Anyway, Paul's describing a time, and we could have an argument about, are we living in that time? It's an interesting question. Jumping around from teacher to teacher, we could debate that. I think what it does say, if you get to a place, find a place that tells the truth, and keep coming back. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, well, thanks for Paul and that although his life was difficult, you did cause all things to work together for good. He didn't see the kind of things that he might have wanted to see, but he trusted you and he was right to do so. But you put him in a place where he was able to uh, influence people after him and he had no idea. You'd say you do cause all things to work together for good. Uh, we live in a time where a lot of harsh rhetoric and it's on both sides and What you say with respect to spiritual instruction, that that's not the way to move it forward, not to quarrel, not to be resentful, but to be kind and able to teach. Um, And this is what Jesus modeled. I'd ask that you would continue to uh, reveal yourself to us and through us. Thank you for the fact that you grant repentance. And when we do take the word in, You do change our thinking about you. And as our thinking about you changes, it changes our heart, and it changes our behavior at the level where behavior needs to change, deeply inside. That's change that comes from you, and it comes from gentleness. Thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.